0: Alright, so we've been in Galatians. Let's go ahead and pray and then we'll get started. Jesus, I thank you so much for your, your word to us. That you don't leave us as people who are just supposed to find our way here in this world with no hope and no direction, God. But you give us exactly what we need at the exact right time to save us. Lord God, not only from our sin and, and give us an ability to go to heaven, but you give us exactly what we need to live before you in a righteous way. You give us what we need to be healed. You give us these things because you cared about us. God, we can never be people who say, what has God done for me? Because there's a a thousand things we could point to of what you have done for us and a thousand breaths we have taken today that were a gift from you, Jesus. And Lord God, we... We live because of your gifts, but yet so often we reject your gifts on a daily basis. So, God, I pray in this time right now, you would teach us how to accept your gifts, that you would teach us how to be humble enough to receive the things you want to give us and most importantly to receive your Holy Spirit that you give without measure to all who ask you. And so God, we ask you. God, I lift up my hands to you to ask you to receive from you your Holy Spirit because I have nothing in of myself that that produces life. I have nothing that heals myself. I have nothing that brings me up to your glory but God I can when you when you give me your Holy Spirit I can be healed I can be set free God Lord I humbly ask for your Holy Spirit to come upon every single person in here we just ask that you would do it because you're kind, you're good you're, you're patient, you're gentle while we're still here God while we still have time to be with you to repent here in this life God we want to live in repentance just being naked and laid out before you God saying this is who I am God heal me God be there for me and we know that you hear that prayer in Jesus name we pray Amen Amen you now I listen to uh, a study a couple of weeks ago on prayer, and it rocked my world. Yeah, who was here for that message, dude? Thank you, brother, for bringing the Word of God, for and, and teaching us how to pray, teaching us what your mom taught you. I just I was so blessed by that. So thank you so much for that. All right, so we uh, we've been looking at the Book of Galatians the past eight. Studies that I've done with you nine weeks, we've been looking at the book of Galatians and we've seen Paul waging a war on legalism in a skillful and planned attack. He's been he's been uh, like a master art of war guy. I don't name ninja will call him a ninja of the Bible. He's been waging war on all the ways that legalism can ruin our lives and give us gives us a false sense of security. He's um, in the in the two chapters that we've gone through, because we're in chapter three, verse one right now. In the two chapters we've gone through, he's clearly stated the theological error of legalism. And uh, he followed that by his own personal personal testimony that bore witness of the truth of grace. And we've been contrasting grace and legalism and how God works based on gifts and not wages that he loves to give grace. And he really doesn't like to relate to people based on what they earn because all of us earn death by our sin. So we've been we've been contrasting grace and legalism quite a bit. And then he followed that with a little story about our dear brother Peter who fell into the same mistake as these Galatian churches that Paul's writing to in this book. And he's talking to the Galatians and saying, "Hey, it can happen to the best of us." Peter's like the best of us. He's like the guy that was right there with Jesus. And yeah, sure, he denied Jesus at times, but he was the first one Jesus came to and said, Peter, I'm going to build my church on your, your um, confession. And I'm going, to, I'm going to use you to build up the church. It's going to be tremendous. And Peter, And so Peter was used to start that early church. And his preaching on that first day when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people got saved that day. It's like all these people, he's just open air preaching and and it was just glorious and and he just has all this boldness and then the Holy Spirit comes down and there's tongues of fire and there's craziness everywhere. 3,000 people get saved and Peter is like the, the, the first pastor, basically, of that church in Jerusalem. But even Peter got tripped up when some brothers from James came And they, they, when they came, they had this legalistic bent, this legalistic idea behind them that said, that's fine if you guys believe in Jesus, but you're not really a good Christian unless you get circumcised or unless you follow the laws of Moses and the Ten Commandments and all these things. And Peter fell for it. He was intimidated by them. He wanted to make a good impression on them. He wanted to save face. And so our brother Peter didn't sit with the Galatian Christians, the Gentile Christians or it was actually Antioch. And he sat on the other side of the room with his Jewish bros over here. And Paul, seeing this, couldn't believe his eyes. And he stood up in front of everyone And he did the second half of chapter 2 right there. And we looked in depth at that. And he told Peter, Peter, you are free from everything. Every law, you've been free. So why are you living like you're under the law? And why are you treating these other brothers and sisters like they're not as good as you? Because they're not keeping all these laws. So that's what we've seen so far. Now, He's going to show these Galatian churches from their own experience that they've been deceived by legalism. That's why he's writing this letter, because they've been outright deceived. He planted the church. They were they were totally in love with Jesus. They were rocking with Jesus. They they just worshiped Jesus. They were studying the Bible, looking at Jesus. And then he left and they fell away. They got tripped up by these legalistic people that came in and said, oh yeah, all this Jesus stuff is cool, right on. But, you got to do all this other stuff too. So now we come to Galatians chapter 3. Let's read the first three verses here. It says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? I'm going to read that to you again in the New Living Translation. They kind of build it up. They, they explain it maybe a little more, maybe put it in a way that you may catch a couple different things. He says, "Oh, foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because of the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your Christian lives in the Spirit, are you now Trying to be made perfect by your own human effort. That's what we're going to talk about. So start right at the beginning. Oh, foolish Galatians! Ben Franklin said, The learned fool writes his nonsense in better language than the unlearned, but it's still nonsense. See, foolishness. The truth hurts. You know, Paul, he's kind of brutal right here. He loves these people, right? And he's like, oh, foolish Galatians. And would you start a letter like that? Oh, foolish mom. I've missed you. (laughs) Or maybe your kid is off at college or something. Oh, foolish son. Maybe you have done that. I don't know. But... But Proverbs 27, six says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You know, a friend might come and say, you're being an idiot right now. Your, your wife might say that to you. Your husband might say that to you. Your mom or dad might say, you are acting very dumb. But faithful are the wounds of a friend. If your friend loves you, or... Your friend is saying these things because they love you. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Paul is writing this letter because he loves the Christians in Galatia so deeply. Criticism is always difficult to accept. I'm not going to say it's not. But if we receive it with humility and a desire to improve our character, it can be very helpful. Only a fool does not profit when he's rebuked for his mistakes. Several years ago, there was a a helpful article on this subject. It stated that when we are criticized, we ought to ask ourselves whether the criticism contains any truth. And if it does, we should learn from it, even when it is not given with the right motivation or the right spirit. So let's say someone comes to you and says, "In in a cruel, heartless way, you're acting like an idiot. He says here in this article, you should still see if there's any truth in it. Still. Don't just reject it right off the bat because they're not coming in love. Now, it's harder, obviously, but still consider it. If it does, we should learn from it. The article then offered these four suggestions. Number one, commit the matter instantly to God, asking him to remove all resentment or counter-criticism on your part and teach you the needed lessons. Number two, remember that we're all great sinners and that the one who has criticized us does not begin to know the worst about us. Yeah, they saw something that you did wrong and they're criticizing you for it, but they haven't seen the depths of your evil heart. Number three, If you've made a mistake or committed a sin, humbly and frankly confess it to God and to anyone you've injured. And number four, be willing to learn afresh that you are not infallible and that you have need of God's grace and wisdom every moment of the day to keep on the straight path. When we're criticized, let us accept what is true and act upon it, thereby becoming a stronger person. Because he who profits from criticism rebuke is wise. That's what Proverbs says. You're wise if you listen to correction. J.B. Phillips translates this part of Galatians 3. He says, Oh, you dear idiots in Galatia. (laughs) That's awesome. I'm just throwing that in there. And then what my Bible should say right here is, Oh, foolish Sean. Because what he's talking about here is directly applicable to me like every day of my life. That's what it should say. So, the uh, Greek word for fool here is anoetos. And that's exactly how you say it. Just kidding, I have no idea. but uh, it, it means not understanding, but uh, it has an idea of someone who can think, but fails to use their power of perception. They aren't perceiving. They, they're smart, they're intelligent, but they're not applying it in their life. So, here's the question. What are the Galatians being foolish about? You know, we've spent two chapters and eight weeks learning from Paul about his war on legalism. About this idea that you can make God happy by what you do. That's legalism. It's a... a um, um, well, we've seen his passion for grace as being the way that we please God. In many ways, these three verses that we just read are the pinnacle of the whole book and the apex of his speech. It says here, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? His point here is the death of Jesus on the cross was all-sufficient their vision of Jesus Christ crucified had become cloudy. And they no longer could see him and his work on the cross as the center of their Christian lives. Now it was Jesus plus what they must do for him. And I just wonder, how many times do we look at it that same way? Our Christian life is not just about what Jesus did on the cross, But it's about what Jesus did on the cross plus what I can do for him. And that's what we're constantly thinking about. That's what I'm constantly thinking about. But we contrast that with Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. It says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Again, at the very beginning of the study, we said the book of Galatians was about Not what we do, but who we are. And we get changed in who we are by who we look at. Who we stare at. Who our attention is on. Their attention has gotten distracted. Their vision of him is cloudy. Him on the cross is not the center of their attention anymore. They've gotten distracted. Tripped up by legalism. And Paul, in his skillful way, he says, Guys! you have become foolish because you you know about the cross you know about it but you're not focused on it you you think you know and you may you may know in your mind he died for me on the cross but it's not the only thing that you depend upon every day to get you through that day that's where they had tripped up that's where they had fallen That verse in Isaiah says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Because he trusts in him. Because what we're looking at is what we're depending on. What you're looking at is what you depend on. He says here, Who has bewitched you? The title of our our message tonight is Charmed Snakes. Okay, I'm going to tell you why here in just a minute. Spurgeon said, get the real atonement of Christ thoroughly into your soul and you will not be bewitched. You will not be bewitched. Paul is saying, how could you have forgotten about this? Well, maybe you didn't forget because you couldn't have. I was really clear when I was with you before. I told you all you need is Jesus And something has happened. So you couldn't have just forgotten. Someone must have put a spell on you. David Guzak says, the word here is evil eye. That word bewitched literally is who has cast an evil eye on you. And David Guzak says, the evil eye was thought to work in a way that a serpent could hypnotize its prey with his eyes. You guys have seen this, right? Got, like in Aladdin, he had the little stick and his st- serpent and he's staring. And if they looked at it, right, they would get hypnotized. And then the, cra- and the bird is putting crackers in his mouth and he's doing all... Anyway, Aladdin was a good movie. I liked it. But that evil eye, it's what it makes me think about. That that snake serpent staff that, that what's his name? Jafar had, yeah. <coughs> Could hypnotize it with his eyes. And once the victim looked into the evil eye a spell could be cast. Therefore, the way to overcome the evil eye was simply not to look at it. In using this phrasing and using the word picture of bewitched, Paul is painting a word picture and he's encouraging the Galatians to keep their eye, their eyes always steadfastly fixed upon Jesus. That's what he's saying. And that's why I said before that you that verse in Isaiah twenty six three, you will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, whose eyes are not looking at the the deceitful snake. Alright? We're going to come back to this in just a couple minutes. In his sarcasm, Paul nails the issue. They were not obeying the truth. He said Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? It's not that they were not obeying a list of rules. They could have had that down. But that wasn't the matter. That wasn't the problem. And I, I just hate it when you come into a church somewhere and you instantly feel like you're not keeping a list of rules and you're not good enough because you're not keeping the list of rules. And when that's not the truth. What makes us good? Believing in Jesus. That's what makes us good. And you walk into a church, that should be the only thing that you're judged by. Do you believe in Jesus? Great. Then Jesus is going to take care of all that mess in your life. Jesus is going to take care of it. You just keep following Him, keep your eyes fixed on Him. You can't have your eyes fixed on Him and be out having an affair. Those are two different directions. That's why... The, oh, we're going to get to that in just a second. Oh, this is good stuff. It wasn't a list of rules that they were breaking. It was the truth that they had left. The truth. John six twenty nine says, Jesus answered and said to them, well, let me... We read this last week, let me just re- remind you. They came to him and said, what do we do to do the works of God? What can we do? And maybe when you come into a church, that's what you feel. What, what do I have to do... To do the works of God or to make God happy. What do I got to do? And Jesus answered in, in John 6 29, Jesus said, The work, this is the work of God, that you believe in Him who He sent. See, they, these Galatians, had an internal desire to rebel against the truth. They thought they could please God by their works, so they got deceived that they could please God by their works. I have an internal desire to rebel against the truth. I think sometimes I can please God. I am constantly asking the question in my mind, what do I need to do to please you, God? What can I do to be more filled with the Holy Spirit than I am? What can I do to get a gift? Didn't we talk about that last week? Can you earn a Christmas present? No. Can you earn a gift? No. You just ask, and God gives it. But... I'm constantly thinking that way. See, the Holy Spirit is not a prize earned through the works of the law. That very question in my heart shows the fleshly desire to please God out of my own efforts that's still there. And it clashes with the truth. Here he says they are not obeying the truth, the truth of grace. This should be the most elementary thing that we learn. When we first come to know Jesus, this should be the first thing that we learn. Even Hebrews 6, 1 says, therefore, leaving the discussion of elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. So he's saying, "Okay, now we're going to leave these elementary things. And then he describes them not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works to faith of the living God. Works, thinking that we please God by our works is should be the first thing that leaves when we come to know Jesus And it is, if you actually come to know Jesus, you understand, okay, I understand, I can't work my way to heaven. There's nothing I can do to get to heaven but I can accept a free gift. Why does it change the next day? Why does it change the next day? See, here's where we have to divide this topic of the grace of God into two sections. And we have to talk about justification and sanctification. And you guys who have been coming to the men's Bible study, you're probably like, are you seriously going to talk about this again? Because we've been talking about this for like a long time now, like half a year. The same discussion about grace and how it's there for our justification to get us saved. The day you were born again, you realized I can't make it to heaven. So I'm going to accept this free gift of salvation and forgiveness. And I start my walk with God. New birth, new life, personal salvation. And then we separate it. And then what happens the next day? Until the day you die is a process called sanctification. And that's moving on with God, growing with God, changing, becoming a godly man, walking in the Spirit, day by day being a Christian who's growing in Christ-likeness. And we think, this is what we think, that first part, the justification, that was a great gift. We all get that. I think everyone in here can understand that. But I think 95% of us have struggled the next day. How do I change now? Okay, okay. Here, it was a gift and it just happened. The next day, I need to start trying hard to be a good Christian. How many times have you thought, I need to be trying harder to be a good person? What we've done is we've become foolish. That's what Paul's saying here. Well, wait, wait. It works for you to get saved. It works for all of your sin ever in your life to go away, be washed away. It worked. And you think you can do something to add to that? Really? It doesn't work that way. It's it works then and it works every single day, and you're gonna see it right here. Look at Paul's attitude, look what he says here. He says This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? So he says, how did you get saved? How did you begin this relationship with God? You received the Holy Spirit, okay? So how did you receive the Holy Spirit? Was it some great work you did? You climb a mountain and talk to a guy sitting in some weird Indian-style thing? That what gave you salvation? Was it some great epiphany you came to all by yourself? No. You're only saved by hearing. Was it by the works of the law? No. Was it legalism that saved you? No. Listen, this is not a bait-and-switch by Paul. He never told them they needed to go back to the law. He never said, Okay, you get saved here. And you don't have to worry about the law on this day. But then tomorrow, you got to make sure you're keeping that law every day. It's like, wait a second, I just gave up the law. I just died to the law. What? But he says, no, it's not a bait and, and switch. Could you imagine a Galatian Christian who was a Gentile receiving the Holy Spirit when he was getting circumcised? Like they make a first cut, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes upon him? That would be crazy. It's like there was a longtime actress and comedian named Gracie Allen who once received a small, live alligator as a gag gift. And not knowing what to do with it, Gracie placed it in the bathtub and left for an appointment. When she returned home, she found this note from her maid. Dear Miss Allen, sorry, but I have quit. I don't work in houses where there is an alligator. I told you this when I took this job, but I never thought it would come up. It's not a surprise what, what's going on here. They think, or Paul had taught them, all they need to do is accept Jesus' grace and day by day keep looking at Jesus and keep accepting his grace. And they turned it into, I'm accepting his grace to get saved and now I've got to try hard to become a better person. These are all rhetorical questions. The answer to all of them is no. So he says... Was it the hearing of faith or was it by the hearing of faith? And the answer is, of course, it was by the hearing of faith. They heard and they had faith in what Jesus did. Someone came to them and said, Paul came to them in their city. They knew nothing about God. They they weren't Jewish. They didn't have the Ten Commandments. They were just living however they wanted. They were pagan, heathen, worshiping lizards and stuff. And Paul said, guys, you're never going to please a holy God ever but jesus took care of that for you when he died on the cross and if you put your trust in him you will have everlasting life you will get to go to heaven and he he says that's what happened and you heard it and you believed it and you're saved that's it that's what happens luke chapter 11 verse 9 says so i say to you ask and it will be given Seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more... Will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The New Living Translation of this verse in verse 3 says, You receive the Spirit because you believe the message you heard about Christ. That's how you receive that Spirit. Because you heard it, you believed it, and you asked for it. And it's done. You have the Holy Spirit when that happens. He says He will always give it. So He says... Having begun, that was the day you started, having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Now being made perfect is Paul's way of saying your daily, day by day by day life. Are you, are you being made perfect? Are you trying to perfect yourself? Are you trying to be Christ-like by trying? When has that ever worked? When did Jesus ever say, try really hard. He didn't say that. He said, you've got to trust in the works of someone else. So Guzak says, again, this lays out one of the fundamental differences between the principle of law and the principle of grace. Under law, we are blessed and grow spiritually by earning and deserving. Under grace, we are blessed and grow spiritually by believing and receiving. God deals with you under the covenant of grace, but are you trying to deal with him by the principles of the law? Do you believe that God wants to bless you? Which is it? By the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And when the works of the flesh are substituted for faith, self-confidence and pride are the inevitable Results, man, Spurgeon said this. The reason of this contention lies in the fact that the that man is not only poor, but proud, not only guilted, guilty, but conceited so that he will not humble himself to be saved upon the terms of divine charity. And he will not consent to believe God. He prefers to believe in the proud falsehoods of his his own heart which delude him into the flattering hope that he may merit eternal life. And this is the whole world is going this direction. Where they're saying, I'm not going to accept just a free gift of life, of, of forgiveness from Jesus. No, I deserve to go to heaven. And they pridefully are throwing that gift of Jesus in his face. And they'll reap the consequences of it. But this is the practical application of of what Paul is trying to teach us. We cannot become more Christ-like or receive any blessing by trying harder. All we can do is simply believe in the work of Jesus on the cross. And here's how it works. This is the practical thing. This is, if you don't remember anything else from tonight, remember this. Addictions. There's no 12-step program. There's one step. Believe in Jesus. Believe in what he did on the cross. Believing in Jesus works because you're believing in his works. He's the only one that ever accomplished anything worth anything when he died on the cross. Sins. We can't just try to stop. We have to have new life inside, a changed heart. And that can only come as we receive by faith. So these Galatians, instead of that simple idea that you just look at Jesus, they have had this evil eye, this bewitching, this spell cast on them that you can fix yourself. Sure, you needed Jesus to get saved. But they got deceived into thinking that after that, the day after that, they had to try hard. And how many Christians have gotten saved on one day and several days later, or years later, or months later, they throw up the towel and say, I'm done being a Christian because I can't do it. What? What? You never could do it. When did you start trying to do it? Why did you start trying to do it? There was an evil snake, a serpent, that cast his spell on them. Bewitched them, Paul says. Foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? Satan did. But whatever Satan does, we have a much greater Warrior fighting for us, Paul is going to war on legalism, and we have a greater warrior. And look what he did in in Numbers chapter twenty-one. I'm going to read it to you. It says they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea, to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. We have spoken against the Lord and against you pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us So Moses prayed for the people And the Lord said to Moses make a fiery serpent And set it on a pole And it shall be that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it shall live So Moses made a bronze serpent put it up on a pole and so it was if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the pole at the bronze serpent, he lived. When he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. You guys see what that's talking about? Because it's Jesus. Maybe you've never seen that before. You're taking a pole, a piece of wood, and putting it up in the ground just like they took a cross and a piece of wood and they put it in the ground and then he took a fiery serpent a picture of the affliction that was on the people fiery was a the word they used for poisonous because the poison burned like fire a poisonous serpent and God said put that serpent up on the piece of wood and hang in there Just like they took Jesus. And Jesus became our poison. He became our, everything that was bad, everything that was afflicting us. The sentence of death that was upon us, like God sentenced these people to die by serpent. God put that sentence of death and he hung it up on the cross. And so now you have Thousands of years before Jesus was born, a picture of what Jesus would do, the exact thing he would do. He became sin, put on a cross, and hung there for us. And it says that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live, shall be healed. Everyone. All we have to do is look at it. And notice it doesn't say whoever looks at the pole. Just like crosses. People have crosses and they think there's some kind of power in wearing a cross. And there's none. The power is in the person of Jesus Christ who died on that cross. You can give me an amen. That's awesome. (laughs) The power is in the person who became the sin for us. See, they had, a, they had been bewitched into thinking that they could do something when all they could do was look at Jesus, have faith in Jesus, and they would have been fine. They would have been fine. Instead of having the snake look at them and bewitch them or cast a spell on them, they could have looked at the snake the serpent hanging on the cross they could have just looked and instead of having a spell cast on them they could have been made well and free and you might come to church and think you're going to learn something great and wise about how to fix yourself or something you need to do and you're always going to be disappointed because I'm always going to say look at Jesus Pastor Ed is always going to say look at Jesus Have faith in Jesus. Look at Jesus. And you know what? I don't know how it works, but He fixes people. He fixed me. And He's fixing me every day when I look at Him. And the days when I don't stare at Him, that that poison starts to work inside me. It starts to make me selfish. It starts to make me brutal. And I start to be like this Person, like God, I'm just, why have you brought me out here? I'm in the bread Sea and this bread stinks and I just hate my. Life. It doesn't work when you take your eyes off Jesus. And here's the thing taking off Je- putting your eyes on Jesus isn't to work. Because faith in Jesus is just depending on the works of another person, you're depending on the works He did. And when you get your eyes off of what he did on the cross, it doesn't work anymore. Nothing will work. And you may be coming in here tonight and like, not, not having any idea of what's going on in your life. Or you may have a solid direction of where you're going. Why are you doing what you're doing? Is it because Jesus died on the cross? Good, then keep doing that. Is it because of anything else? and question what you're doing in your life. That's why we keep our eyes on the cross. Am I going to work because Jesus died on the cross? Great, keep going to work. Am I going to work because of something else? It's not going to work. You come to a church called Calvary. You know what that word means? That's the hill that Jesus was crucified on. Our very church is named to hopefully keep our eyes on this that Jesus died on the cross. We don't want to think about anything else. We don't want to talk about anything else. It's Jesus and Jesus only. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord God, I... Jesus, Jesus, there's so much that you want to do for us. That you have already done for us. God, and honestly, in truth, faith can be easy. We just surrender our way of thinking. Lord God, these Galatians thought that they could work harder to make themselves better. God, we want to surrender that way of thinking, that spell, if it's been cast on us, God, I pray that our eyes will be healed by looking at you, our snake on the cross, our sin that's hanging there for us who were bitten by sin. And with all our eyes closed and with with just all of us praying right here, Lord God, I know that you have been working with your Holy Spirit and and just longing to pour out your grace into people's lives. And we believe that. And God, I pray that maybe there's someone here who has not yet believed. God, I pray that right now they would make a decision to believe. God, there's no, no other way that works. We can clearly see that. Our own conscience bears witness inside us that we can't fix ourselves. That we live in a messed up world and we're messed up people. But we're hearing a message right now that you fix anyone that looks on you. That you heal them and you forgive them. And as we keep our eyes fixed on you, you cleanse us. You make us Christ-like on a day-by-day basis. If there's anyone here tonight that has never done that and you would like to do that, just pray. Ask the Lord for his grace. And Jesus is 100% able to give you that grace. Not only able, willing. And he gave us that story of the the father giving his son a scorpion instead of an egg or all those different examples he gave and he says how much more is your heavenly father going to provide to you the Holy Spirit the very salvation that you're looking for to anyone who asks no matter what you've done or where you've been and this is perfectly applicable to all of us in here whose marriages are messed up whose job sucks whose school is terrible this is for us we keep our eyes on Jesus and he fixes it he makes it work Jesus let everything be for you and and because of you God Lord keep us focused on you Whether it's the music we listen to, the radio station we tune into, the movies we watch. God, our mind is going to be fixed on you from this day forward, Jesus. And if we sin, if we mess up, God, we are going to be people who repent. Because that's a beautiful thing to turn back to you and just say, I messed up, Lord, please forgive me again. God, thank you for your beautiful word that is spoken to us tonight. In your name we pray. Amen.